Thanks for tuning in to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast, where we talk about your body, how it moves, and empowering you with the knowledge to manage and treat your pain or discomfort. You will also get an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at a successful private practice. You have the questions, and we have the answers. Now let's get moving. Hi, this is Matt. I'll be your host. And this is Allie. I'm your co-host. I'm Rizlina, and I'll be tuning in on special features. We'd like to give a big shout out to everyone sending in feedback and all the great questions and comments that we've received as we started our podcast. Just to let you know, we are working on some things in our audio levels just to provide the best listening experience for you. Remember, if you do have any questions you'd like answered on our podcast, don't hesitate to send them in to our social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram. So thank you all for your patience while we fix that. And let's get back to the information that gives you direct access to Oxford Physical Therapy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast. I'm your host, Matt. And Allie's here today. Awesome. (laughs) So what we're talking about today is that pesky pain on the outside of the hip. And Allie, Allie's young, so Allie probably has (laughs) never experienced this pain on the outside of the hip. But We don't know for sure yet, but we'll get there. (laughs) Weren't you telling me, Allie, that um, someone was complaining to you... uh, uh, about rolling over on their hip. Yeah, you know, just I guess with age in my head, people or family members may have a problem whether they're waking up or in the middle of their sleep. They just have that that pain in their hip when they're rolling over or getting out of bed. Yeah, it's very common. And um, we're going to talk today with a local expert who treats a lot of pain on the outside of the hip there. And a lot of people are diagnosed with what we call bursitis. So Sometimes patients are a little worried, like, oh, no, bursitis, what does that mean? Or can that be, you know, dangerous? And is that going to affect me long term? And we got some great answers to those questions uh, coming up with a doctor that we work closely with to treat these problems on the outside of the hip. But I would be remiss (laughs) if I didn't mention that direct access provides patients a great opportunity to come straight into physical therapy Some of these conditions are very, very mild, and if we get them early enough, it can just be a matter of changing some flexibility and some strength to take pressure off of the outside of the hip. So the bursa is always there. It's never, um, you know, not there. It's just at different times for different reasons, maybe because due to tightness or something that's going on with their walking, inflammation develops. And so when things become inflamed, that's where the itis comes from, either <laughs> tendonitis or bursitis. That's just an inflamed bursa. So when you get that inflamed bursa, you might notice uh, it's difficult to walk. Um, it's tender to the outside of your hip. Sometimes people can even feel swelling or feel the fluid on the outside of their hip. Um, and it, it can get actually that swollen. Um, so first step would be come in, let us take a look at it. We've treated a lot of this over the years. And, uh, you know, sometimes some physical therapy is is all that's needed. Um, But often, as we mentioned, with direct access, (laughs) sometimes you need to make a referral. And we work with a trusted expert locally uh, who does treat some things on the outside of the hip. His name is Dr. Duplichan. And uh, listen in to his comments on his treatments for the outside of the hip and his diagnostic process that he may go through. There's some pretty cool things you can hear about there. Yep. So, guys, just hang on tight, and we will get Dr. Duplishan on the phone. Um, give our listeners a little bit of your background and kind of area of expertise, if you would. 
Ooh, that's a toughie. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I don't want to talk too much about myself, but um, my background is I grew up in Southern California, went to uh, UCLA med school, and then did a, a specialty in physical medicine and rehabilitation at Emory in Atlanta. Uh, I've been in the Cincinnati area for now 22 years. Uh, I've been in a few practices, including in practice for myself for over a decade, and then in 2016 became um, the chair of the Division of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at University of Cincinnati, which also has a residency program. So my areas of expertise, I really love musculoskeletal medicine. I love using ultrasound as well as electrodiagnostics to try to figure out what's going on. I also do some spine care and some interventional injections, both the spine as well as nerve blocks and spasticity management and all the rest. Awesome, awesome. Well, going back, we're going to dig into a lot of what you said there, but but going back to one of the things you said where you had your own practice for over a decade, um, we happened to be neighbors during that time, so you and I got to work together quite a lot. Absolutely, right across yeah. the hall. That's right. <laughs> So during that time, and even since, you know, we see a lot of patients with bursitis, and we just kind of want to educate. Sometimes patients come in with this diagnosis, and I'm sure they've said it to you. Um, let's just educate them, what is bursitis? Yeah, and we can, uh, I guess we can use the hip as the prototype. And right. so I think bursitis has been a word that we use a lot just to kind of cover a lot of different things. And typically, these are patients who have pain along the outer part of their hip. So the typical complaint is, I can't lay on that right hip because it wakes me up. It's painful. And so kind of old-time medicine was, oh, you've got some fluid in your bursa. Let's just stick a needle in there, and you'll feel better. And I think what we're learning more now is it's much more complex than that. There are, I, I tend to call that lateral aspect of the shoulder somewhat, or rather of the hip, I call it the rotator cuff of the hip because I yeah, think people understand. Yeah, yeah I, I think people understand the rotator cuff when it comes to the shoulder, and the main difference is we have to walk on our hips. We we can't just put it in a sling and hop around on one leg. Um, but those that that whole cuff of muscles along the outer part of the hip also gets worn down, and I think what happens is it's the wearing down of those tendons that generates fluid which causes expansion and inflammation, and that's what typically causes the pain. I don't think people are just prone to have bursitis. I think people who are active or maybe weren't very active and started to get active or maybe have a trauma can develop this bursitis, but usually there's an underlying problem, and in most cases, it's either a tendonitis or what we call a tendinopathy when the tendon is starting to degenerate. Gotcha. So it sounds like from what you're saying, at the heart of that is kind of inflammation and irritation, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so a lot of patients sometimes get this diagnosis and they think it may be like, oh, I'll never walk again type of thing. But, um, you know, in a lot of cases, it's it, you know, um, a short term and some treatment can be done to really, you know, kind of correct this, right? Yeah, and, you know, we, we usually think hip and then we think hip joint. And then the next thing is, oh, my gosh, I need a hip replacement. Yeah. Um, and I always remind patients, well, if it's your hip joint, I would expect you to have more pain in your groin area than mm -hmm. over the outer part of your hip. So 
these are things that with treatment can actually get better. What I usually find, though, is without treatment, patients tend to just kind of limp around with that hip and assume it's something degenerative that's not going to get better, and then they just kind of change the way they walk, and then they, you know, I've, I've had patients go out and buy their canes or just yeah. get a walking stick, and it reduces the pain a little bit, but it doesn't fix the problem. But this is Correct. totally fixable, um, and so I always advise patients, don't hesitate. You're not bothering us. Come and see us about it, and we can. the, the earlier we can deal with it, the faster you can get better. Yeah, that's that's great advice, and I think from my standpoint and from a therapy standpoint, uh, that's what we preach as well. Because the the more a problem goes on, as you mentioned and alluded to, when people are moving differently, they're developing compensations and then other secondary problems. So absolutely, and and you know, not to dwell too much on it, but sometimes a hip problem can come from a patient compensating from another issue, and I know. Matt, we've had patients in common with this particular malady. Um, the patient who maybe had a foot fracture or an ankle injury yeah. where they've been placed in a walking boot mm-hmm. and everybody thinks, oh, that's great. You're not bearing weight on that painful extremity. However, that hip has had to work so much harder that after weeks and weeks of being on that, on that boot, the patient has changed the way that they're walking, and that might be the cause of developing a, a hip problem with the soft tissues. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You mentioned that this is a very treatable problem and, you know, encourage folks to seek treatment for it. What are the typical treatments that you're recommending? And, um, you know, take us through, like, what would be typically prescribed treatment from your standpoint for this hip bursitis issue? Yeah, so usually, and again, it depends on how long the patient's had the symptoms. So somebody who's had it just a week or two where it's just acute inflammation, sometimes it could be as simple as oral anti-inflammatories, maybe using a a lidocaine patch over the lateral aspect of the hip to keep it from being so irritated, and some home exercises. But I typically find the patients who've had the symptoms for greater than 30 days they tend to benefit from physical therapy as well as some of the anti-inflammatories. And those patients who are really having a great deal of difficulty who say, wow, I can't even do my therapy exercises. They're so uncomfortable or I can't lift my leg against gravity because it hurts so much. We might, as an adjunct, uh, take a look at their hip and make sure that there's not a tear in one of the tendons and make sure that it's just an inflammatory process. And then once we can get visualization of what's going on, then we can decide what other treatments may be helpful. Yeah, it's perfect. You mentioned uh, when we first um, started talking that one of your specialties was musculoskeletal ultrasound. And when I hear you say, take a look at it, that's what I'm thinking you mean. But uh, talk to our listeners a little bit about what ultrasound is for the hip and what kind of things you can see and maybe compare to like an MRI. Great. Um, I think what I can do is, you know, most people know what an x-ray is. And if you think about it, an x-ray is taking some x-ray radiation and shooting it through the body. And some of those rays are going to bounce off the hard structures like bones and others are going to pass through. So in the olden days, we would have a plate behind the patient and then, you know, it would paint this picture. And so when there were areas where there's bones, it would be white. And where there's air or soft tissue, it would be dark. 
And so if there was an opening in that white area or a bone, some of the rays would pass through and we could say, oh, there's a fracture. The unfortunate thing is the x-ray isn't as great for soft tissue, such as finding a tendon problem or a fluid collection. Now, MRI is a bit different where it uses magnetic waves, but it tends to be very expensive and also hard to get. You have to go to a certain center that has an MRI, and frankly, there are patients who have pacemakers and other pieces of metal in their body that can't have an MRI, and some of my patients are so claustrophobic they can't tolerate it. Um, Portable ultrasound has really improved things over the last 20 years where we have these now smaller ultrasound devices that allow us to see. And unlike x-ray, they don't pass all the way through bones. However, when we're really looking at tendons and muscles, ultrasound tends to be just as good or in some cases better than MRI. Of course, since the sound waves can't go through bone, if there's something that's within a bony structure, we can't see it as well with ultrasound. But when it comes to things that are closer to the skin and are more soft tissue, i.e. tendons, muscles, nerves, we can actually see them very well. And with an added bonus, and that added bonus is we can actually have the patient move or get their arm or their leg in a certain position that normally causes pain, and then we can evaluate it that way where if you've ever had an MRI or an x-ray, what you're asked to do is be still, don't move. So that's kind of the differences with it. I think the last thing that I always have to remember is there's no radiation when it comes to ultrasound. So it's safe to do with, you know, a pregnant woman. It's safe to do around metal objects. It's safe to do in a patient who has a pacemaker. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's great information, and I've been very fortunate to work with you long enough and been able to observe many, many musculoskeletal ultrasounds. And what's really cool from, from my standpoint, and we have some listeners who are patients and some listeners who are professionals, so I would be speaking now maybe to the PTs that are listening and clinicians listening, um, is that dynamic feature that you talked about, because I know you and I together have done done things where you'll ask folks to contract a muscle and you can really look at the tendon and, and look at it under movement and, you know, those kind of things are so valuable for the functional clinician, for the PM&R physician and for the physical therapist and really putting together a great picker of, you know, someone's disability and how we might be able to work functionally and constructively to get them over that hump. So uh, I think it's a tremendous tool. Yeah, Matt, think of the number of times somebody came in to see you and said, can you feel that? Can you hear that clicking that's going on? Do you feel yeah. that? Do you hear that clicking in my shoulder, or can you feel that little thump that's going on in my thumb? What what we can do with that ultrasound transducer, if we can get it over that spot, very often we can see what's causing that sound or that discomfort. And sometimes it might be a ganglion cyst, or it might be a part of a tendon that's rubbing past another. Um, it might be a fluid collection. It might be a, a bony spur, but to be able to see it is not only satisfying, it helps us figure out what the problem is sooner, and therefore the treatment is more focused and the patient has a better chance of getting better faster. Yeah. When we were talking um, earlier about bursitis, you know, you mentioned sometimes in a shoulder, you can put a, put a patient in a sling and accomplish some rest that way. And we talked a little bit about cane and crutches, and that can create some offloading. 
Um, but I know that you and I together have, have used some braces for the hip. And, you know, just describe a little bit about, you know, maybe some of the advantages we've seen with that clinically and, and what that offers patients. Um, I, th I think sometimes with, when the patient is having difficulty bearing weight and we can find a way to have a support device or a brace kind of offload that allows mm -hmm. patients to do things in a normal way, such as walking without a stick or without um, holding onto a walker or, or something else, the more that we can allow the patient to build that new memory in their brain and through their body to... As, as they best can kind of get into the normal gait pattern, I think also the faster they're going to get better and the less they're going to fall into those comp compensatory mechanisms. So, yeah. you know, it's a little harder to brace the hip than, say, the knee or the ankle, but it's possible. I know you've used some of these uh, hip kind of spica splints and things like that um, right. to help people with this. And to be honest, you're one of the few people who actually does that. <laughs> um, but I think it's very helpful for patients to be able to, you know, have a lot of tools in your toolbox to help them. That's right. And and one of the things you mentioned, um, you know, when we were first talking about the bursitis was injections. And I know a lot of a lot of folks think, well, can I just get an injection every three months and you know go about normal? And um, talk a little bit about the efficacy and safety of injections in the hip and multiple injections and what may or may not happen there. Yeah, so um, I, I, I like doing procedures. I like looking at things. However, I always want a, a reason why I'm going to do it. And so I think often patients say, well, hey, I used to get an injection here in the hip and it would help for a little bit of time, but it keeps coming back. And it also, it always makes me wonder, well, what are we injecting? So right, right. in general, I think it's, I think it's fair to do injections if you can prove that there's an inflammatory problem. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's no reason to, for example, put a steroid into an area where there's no longer inflammation. And in fact, we've learned that if we put a steroid into good tissue, especially into a tendon, we can actually cause that tendon to possibly break down. So we want to be very careful where we put things. Yeah. The beauty of, of having imaging like ultrasound is I can actually pinpoint exactly where the problem is, and if I do need to do a procedure, I can I can actually see the needle in real time, get into that structure, and let's say it is a big fluid cushion that's causing compression of structures, I can get the needle right into it and then watch myself draw all of the fluid or as much of the fluid as possible out of that structure by not only guiding the needle but then repositioning the needle as that fluid collection gets smaller and smaller. And so these are things that used to have to be done with an open surgery, um, but now it can be done very well with the guidance. So we only want to do what's necessary, but if we're, going to, if we're going to put a needle in somebody, I would like to be sure that I can confirm that, number one, we're doing no harm and we're avoiding uh, structures that can be damaged, but also that we're getting the medicine exactly where it needs to be. Yeah, I think that's key. Um, you know, I, I think that's the advice we typically would, you know, align very well with what you're saying on it. You know, do what's needed, but, you know, the advantage I think you offer is that precision, um, not only to clear the fluid before it's injected, but the injection right where it's needed. So I think that's fantastic.
So anything else, any other uh, points of wisdom you'd like to share with our audience about bursitis or lateral hip pain or, or, or anything? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's kind of funny. Um, I never saw myself as kind of a an expert in it, but I've, what I've found in my practice is that after a while, people continue to send you these patients, and I, I think what happens is you become somewhat an expert at it because you've had lots of practice. It's kind of like if you go to Perfect North enough and ski enough, you'll probably become an expert you know, if you really focus on it. And I, and so it's become a focus of mine, not because I'm so enamored with it, but because I see a lot of patients with it. And I just think that um, it's a very common thing. I probably see one patient every clinical day who has lateral hip pain of some sort. And very often, it can be confused with other problems, such as a pinched nerve in the spine or sciatica that radiates to the hip. Or as we mm-hmm. talked about before, um, uh, hip joint problems or a labral tear. Um, but I think that in general, um, these are things that are very common. They're not only common among people who are re- relatively sedentary, but also very common among people who are very active, people who are working out a lot, people who do a sure. lot of fitness. Um, so we can do a lot of good for a lot of people the more that we can focus and really, you know, focus our exam and kind of get good at our questions and then with the ultimate treatment. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out to to speak to our listeners about the hip bursitis and lateral hip pain. And, um, you know, I think I've seen a lot of success working in combination with you over the years to help patients with this. So thank you so much for your time and for the information and really appreciate it. And thank you for all that you do. You know, again, I'm just a I'm just an old country doctor, you know. I just see patients <laughs> and push them down the line to the therapist. But, you know, the patient sees you much more frequently than they see me. And, you know, you've got to get the patient's confidence. And, you know, we have to work as a team. And one of the things I've been very happy with is that, you know, if we ever do have a difference of opinion, that we are able to discuss it in real time with the patient at the center of it. And the patient is that they're well taken care of. And I think that's one of the reasons you're so successful is because you always keep people abreast of what you're doing and you always tell patients, hey, I'm going to contact the doctor. And, you know, it's not bugging us. It's really the way that medicine should work. So I really appreciate the work you guys do as well. Uh, well, thank you so much. Definitely want to look forward to connecting in the new year when COVID slows down and we can do some more ultrasound events and, and just uh, do some something fun together too. So thank you very much. Great, great. All right. We'll we'll be talking soon. Take care. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Awesome. Well, that was a great call with Dr. Duplishan. I feel like I learned a lot about bursitis. Um, Matt, he had mentioned that he does send you for physical therapy with these kind of patients. What kind of um, treatments or exercises do you guys do for bursitis? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, we treat a lot of bursitis at Oxford. We treat a lot of pain on the outside of the hip. And typically... Um, you know, just as he mentioned, what we're battling is inflammation. And so uh, our veteran listeners here on the podcast have heard us talk a lot about that. And some of the other treatments that we've mentioned before, like manual therapy, um, joint mobilization, uh, stretching, or dry needling, where we're using some needles in and around the muscle, can all trigger blood flow. And when we bring good, healthy blood flow to the area, we get rid of the nasty inflammation that's built up. And then it's a matter of really determining 
the underlying causes of why did things get inflamed. Uh, sometimes it's a weakness, like a muscle imbalance. A lot of times the muscles on the outside of our hips. You remember the old Jane Fonda? Well, you don't remember. <laughs> I probably don't. Some of our <laughs> listeners may remember like Jane Fonda buns of steel exercises, oh. but um, we're often weak in the muscles on the outside of our hips. And so uh, weakness causes us to sway a bit more side to side when we walk or run or do active things. And that puts stress and causes friction on the outside of the hip. So a lot of times we're doing hip strengthening exercises for the muscles on the outside as well as restoring flexibility, like to the hamstring muscles and to the hip rotator muscles. Because again, that friction or that rubbing uh, creates a lot of uh, irritation. And that's where the inflammation can then come from on the hip. So, um, you know, it's typically a very effective treatment process. And um, patients usually feel really, really good uh, in a short amount of time. And this takes away a pain that they might have put up with or dealt with for a long time. I was really happy that he mentioned a lot of patients are anxious or nervous that they don't want to uh, see anyone because they might need a hip replacement mm-hmm. and they don't want to undergo a big surgery or anything like that. And fortunately, you know, this problem very, very rarely, ever, if ever, requires a surgical intervention. Uh, although it can be really, really painful and quite debilitating, some conservative treatment usually gets you back on track pretty quick. That's actually really great to know for all those listening out there who might think that just comes with age or maybe their body's wearing out and it's just, you know, I'm getting older. This is something that one definitely doesn't need surgical intervention all the time mm-hmm. and can be easily treated. And coming right into Oxford Physical Therapy, I think it might be their answer, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, just as he mentioned, and we discussed a little bit about the longer it goes on, kind of the worse it tends to get and more compensations develop. So I would encourage folks, you have direct access to Oxford Physical Therapy, come in right away. You know, let us get to you first. Let us take a look at it right away and get you started on a pathway. And if things aren't progressing, you know, we can always make the appropriate referral. So I just would really like to thank Dr. Duplashan for taking his time out to talk to our listeners and, and educate folks not only about hip bursitis, but musculoskeletal ultrasound as an option for diagnostic testing. If you need some testing done, you know, that's a great alternative to MRI, which can often be sometimes more cost effective and, and more efficient, depending on what you have going on that we're trying to figure out. So uh, just great information on, on today's episode, I think, for our listeners. Yep. Dr. Dubuchan, thank you so much. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be talking to you soon. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at OxfordPhysicalTherapy.com, and you can also find us on our social media pages like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. Remember, you do not need a doctor's referral to receive physical therapy in the state of Ohio and Kentucky, where we offer double the care for less than half the cost. You can schedule appointments online or stop into any center for a free screen, what we like to call a bee visit. Please write a review, send us a comment or message on our social media platforms, and until next time, keep it moving!